what do I really think about God? And what do I, what has always been intuitive to me about my faith and about who God is? Um, and so red lip theology, the way that it differs from the system that I grew up in is that God is much more empathetic and compassionate and um, God is not this petty man <laughs> that is waiting for me to, that I always knew I was going to mess up this way and is and is withholding certain things from me because I don't know what to do with them, mm. right? That like, yes. that, but that like, God is, God is impacted by me and my choices just as God impacts me and my choices. Oh, man. Here we go. <laughs> All right. So you don't know this, but I just recorded what I think might be the best intro uh, for the show ever. And when I looked down to stop the recording, it was not recording. So we'll never know. Like, I am biased. My daughter's down here with me. She thought it was amazing. Um, but we'll never know. Anyway, welcome to the show. I'm glad that you're here. So a couple quick announcements. Um, merchandise is finally all in one spot, and I'm done changing providers because I finally found a place that is a quality that I would wear and I don't have to do anything for. Uh, I, when I made that merchandise store for the show years ago, it was based upon people asking for it. Less and less people are asking for it, but those designs are still there. If there's something that you want, send me an idea. I'll figure out how to make it, and we'll do a thing. Um but it's in a spot now that doesn't cost anything to have. And so it's something I can continue to offer. And I will say uh, bonfire who is, who is printing this uh, merchandise. They do a fantastic job quite a bit better than what we did have February. If you were like me and you work in the banking industry, you know that February is one of those months that like the debit cards and the credit cards, like the expiration dates change. And somehow over this month and starting, we lost a few supporters over at Patreon, which is fine. That could have been intentional. Could have just been because we forget that our cards are on file. I get it. However, this show cannot run without the support of each of you in whatever capacity that that is. And so if you haven't yet, join the community. My goal is to end June with 100 supporters of the show. And we're about, I don't know, not we're 60% of the way there. All that to say, if you support the show, I'm thankful. If you don't, consider it. Now, this week had Candace Marie Benbow on. Um, she wrote a book called Red Lip Theology. It is a fantastic book, even though she said it is not written to white guys like me. If you don't know, I am a white guy. Um, anyway, but it's still a good book. I learned quite a bit from it. I uh, laughed quite a bit as well. And I thought about Adam and Eve in a new concept of ride or die. And you will get that in a minute when you listen to the show. And with that, let's go. Candice, welcome to the show. I'm excited you're here. 
I'm sorry that we're a week late. That's on me. I think I miscommunicated. I don't, it doesn't matter. Anyway. We're here. We're here. We're doing the thing. Um, we are here. Yeah. I like to start with kind of an existential question. Sure. And then I end with one. Neither have I really anything to do with your book. Um, but when okay. you try to explain like what you are, kind of why you are, what is that for people listening that are like, Ooh. yeah, yeah. What is that? Um, I'm a writer because one words make me feel safe. Um, words are sacred to me. And I really feel like and believe that there was a call placed on my life uh, to use words to help people figure out how to live better lives. Mm. Mm. What do you, so what do you do besides write books? What do you do? So I am the daily health education. No, what is my title? Ooh, Cause my <laughs> boss is probably going to listen to this. So I am, <laughs> I am the daily lifestyle education and health writer at the Griot, um, which is a um, black media news uh, space. Um, and I, so I do that. Um, my podcast, I actually will have a podcast with them um, that will drop soon. Um, and other than that, I am, as a theologian, the work that I do is I work with churches and uh, nonprofit organizations to really think about, um, think more critically about issues of gender equity and faith mm. um, and what it means to uh, think much more broadly and much more intentionally about our faith lives and how it intersects um, with the other work that we need to do in the world to bring about change. Mm. So, Again, nothing to do with your book. So if I was to go to the griot and read your words, like, what am I reading? Like, what what goes into that? Like, because now I'm, because I don't know what yeah. the griot is, but I only read books okay. and Fed, yeah, so, Fed Reserve reports. So, that's it. <laughs> so for me, um, when you go to the lifestyle, you go, you're going to go to the lifestyle section. Um, I, my work is really about what does it mean for us to thrive? What does it mean for us, um, to move from a space of, particularly for, um, for African Americans, move out of this space of like survival, um, to, to a place of thriving. Um, I'm also, uh, you're going to read about for me, the importance of resilience and grace. So right now we're doing, um, we're in the midst of a Catch 2022 series where um, the third week, statistically the third week of January is when everybody abandons their New Year's resolutions. And Catch 2022 is about how we- Isn't that this week? Yeah, like this is when everybody pieces them out. And so Catch 2022 is about how do we still maximize um, and honor the year and what we want to do while also still giving grace to ourselves. So one of the pieces that um, I did in there were like fun ways to fun fitness routines for people who want to work out but are not going to the gym because the gyms are overcrowded and 
people don't, everybody doesn't want to work out in a mask. Right. So, so it's those kind of pieces that really get to like, how do we think through what it means to live whole and Mm. full lives Mm. while also, you know, honoring like the space that we need to give ourselves as we navigate that. Yeah. No, I like that. Um, So getting to why you're actually here. So you wrote a book, (laughs) got it in my hand for people that are, well, you can't see, I got to turn around. There it is. Um, Yeah. So for people that can't see the video, you can't see the book, but it's in the show notes and you can go buy the book. Um, However, (laughs) however, I have just a really passive aggressive sarcastic question and I actually can't find where I underlined it. And that's my Uh fault. I've gotten in the habit of reading books on Amazon. And you can just oh, okay. like click the highlight and then I don't really have to remember page numbers. I just have to remember right. the quote. So I'm going to badly okay. paraphrase your quote. You say somewhere in the beginning, like either in the intro or like in the very first chapter that like this book is not for me. And I say that mm-hmm. for me as like a white, balding, middle-aged man. So who's it for? Yeah. Um, I wrote this book for... Um, for primarily for black women who black women um, who were born and raised in the church um, or are church adjacent and are uh, trying to make sense of uh, the world around them um, and make sense of their emerging questions around faith and Mm -hmm. feminism. And then uh, much more broadly, I wrote it for women, you know, um, uh, across a, gender and racial, I mean, across racial and ethnic identities, because when you think about faith, um, there are so many um, people who are as impacted um, by the ways that religion and patriarchy and sexism intersect Mm. to be sites of oppression. So um, it's it is it's a black woman's story because I'm a black woman, um, and and shared these experiences with so many sisters that I know. But it's also a woman's story, and and what we have experienced as we um, navigate faith spaces. Mm. Mm. There's your dog. I hear him. I hear him. I, I was <laughs> I was trying to mute, but it's not going to work. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine on this show. So. I don't know if I've ever said this out. So there's two versions of this show, Candace. There's the one that I'm too lazy to edit, and that just goes right to the patrons because why not? Um, okay. And in in that one, um, not not always in that one, but most time in that one, one of my two dogs will always do that little ear flap thing that okay. you know, sounds like a helicopter, and I've uh-huh. mixed that. It's in every single episode. I like put it in there. So, but I've had babies on the show and lawnmowers. I had the royal uh, wedding like motorcade when I was talking with Tom Wright, like just random. Uh-huh. So it's fine. Let the dog bark. Okay. Nobody, nobody cares. Okay. We, we let the dog. Um, so you in this story weave stories about uh, friendship, which I like the way you and your friends are like holding each other accountable because I've got friends like that mm-hmm. as well, just a few miles away that, I mean, we... I don't know what the word is. They're not friends. They're more like brothers. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. what do you feel like is the role of an actual friend when it comes to someone's oh, wow. like, like not life, but like someone's ability to remember who they are, if that makes any sense? Like, what is the role of that? Because I think that nobody knows how to do that anymore because of social media, fakeness, the yeah. internet, et cetera. So 
But I love the stories that you tell about your friends in this book. And you can share any of those or people can read them. That's totally up to you. Yeah. No, I think I, 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 that's a great question. I think friends are supposed to be mirrors for us, right? That like, you know, I mean, red lip theology starts and exists primarily because my best friend came to check on me. Um, and was honest and said, like, you don't look like my best friend anymore. And I had to be honest and say, I don't feel like her. Um, if we were the kinds of friends that, um, did not have that kind of reciprocity of truth, then that moment wouldn't have taken place. Mm. Right. So Mm. like, I think that friends, one are are there to help mirror who we were, but also to reflect who we can be and who we should be. And I would have not, um, I wouldn't be who I am had I not had those kinds of friends. And I try very hard to be that kind of friend mm. um, because there is because you want the people you want everybody to thrive you want everybody to to soar in their particular spaces and ways and you want for everyone to be lifted and you want for everyone to to feel and know love right Mm. even if you don't know them like a world with no love is a sad, sad place to be, mm, right? Yes. So so the people who are in my life that I want to know love, I'm going to do what I can do to reflect that and to show that to them. Yeah. So if red lip theology is a systematic theology, why not? Because mm-hmm. people why? like, people like boxes. What is the system that you grew up in and then how does that contrast with red lip theology? So like, let's just, we just, what's the tulip of what your, what your, your upbringing was. And that's, that's a deep yeah. cut for people listening. And then what is red lip theology? I don't need an acronym. That, that's not fair. No, 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 that's good. Like, I, so, so I was born and raised in the black missionary Baptist church. Um, so much of what I understood about God was very transactional um, that if I did these things, God would do these things. Mm. Um, and it created a very black and white um, understanding of what my, of who I should be and what my faith should be, right? Mm. And that there was no room for gray. And when I veered outside of these spaces, there was so much shame and guilt that I had because it was like, how could you? Mm. How could you do that? Like you, you know better, right? <laughs> and and internalizing that shame and internalizing that guilt, I did not think and feel highly of myself. Um, and I felt like I would always have to work, produce to uh, to show my, you know, my to to be worthy, to be validated. And that's just not who, who God is. Mm. And so as I began to, I mean, one, I, I always had questions 
Um, but college really gave me room to explore those questions. Being in my young adulthood and on my own, I really got to experience, I mean, I really got to answer a lot of those questions. It wasn't really until my mom passed away unexpectedly that I feel like I had like this crisis of faith Mm. um, that really forced me to move into a, what do I really think about God? And what do I, what has always been intuitive to me about my faith and about who God is? Um, And so relic theology the way that it differs from the system that I grew up in is that God is much more empathetic and compassionate. And um, God is not this petty man (laughs) that is waiting for me to, that I always knew I was going to mess up this way and is, and is withholding certain things from me because I don't know what to do with them. Mm. Right. That like that, but that like, God is, God is impacted by me and my choices just as God impacts me and my choices. Mm. Um, and, and I had to really come to a space where, and Relic Theology helped with this, and this is really the tone of the book, what does it mean to be in relationship, right? Like, so everybody talks about healthy relationships, right? Healthy relationships, people communicate, people compromise. It's not a dictatorship. Like all of these communi- all of these essentials to what a thriving relationship look like are also what I sh- what I realized I should apply to my relationship with God. Mm that that we communicate like I get to say I'm feeling away about how things are going and I need you to know that um and that every move that I make is not some like predestined you know before I make before I make the step God knew I was gonna like that for me is not a healthy way to approach faith Mm-hmm. It's not liberative. And so in those ways, relic theology freed me from a system that was rigid and really was and really allowed me to be and have more grace in in how I come to know God. Yeah. Yeah. I um I had a very similar upbringing of what my view of God was and predestination. And I used tulip on purpose. So I, I'm from an independent, mm-hmm. regular Baptist church, which mm-hmm. is like. We see Southern Baptist and be like, "Nah, you're not, you're not strict enough right. for us. We're gonna need to go a little bit more, a little bit more." Really? Yeah. And then, so I read your stories of college, and I laughed out loud on the couch reading your story in the library there of that dude. It's like, well, what kind of theology? You're like, I'm this type of theology, because um, mm-hmm. I went to Liberty, so I did not have that open oh, space yeah. to. Yeah, I just I went in. Uh-huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and mm-hmm. then, yeah, instead of working through it in college, I worked through it in a podcast. But, um. <laughs> But but yeah, we no, all work through yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, and I've come to really think that that version of God of the of what you described that's like just a sociopathic God that I don't yeah. want to be involved with. It's not loving right. um, at yeah, all. Yes, yeah, so I can not. definitely I definitely relate to that. Um, I have a question about a term, ride or die, and so there's a chapter <laughs> in here 
Um, I don't know where it is because it's it's around like page forty five. But you're talking about sin, and so I'd like to circle circle the drain on sin there a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, so on page forty six, you say, you know, all I know is it all right, Candace, if I read your own book to you? Is that fine? Of course, yeah. of course, of course. All I knew was Adam and Eve introduced sin into the world. Well, actually, it was just Eve. Because the big biblical writers told the pair they could have anything in the Garden of Eden, but but couldn't couldn't eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then you go on to go tell a bit, a bit of the, about the serpent and yada yada, you know yada yada. And you end up saying, when Adam saw Eve eating the fruit up, he said, "Yolo," took a bite. And you would think this is the first moment of romantic solidarity, which is when I busted out laughing, showing Adam to be ride or die. And then you go on to talk about, yeah, that's not how it was. So. What does ride or die look like in like a biblical relationship? Yeah. And more so importantly right. then, after that stupid question, what do we do with sin? But answer the funny one first because yeah. it makes me laugh. Right? I never had so, ride or die applied to Adam and Eve. Yeah, like right, like like Adam really did throw his girl <laughs> under the bus. Like it was like, well, this this woman you gave me, I mean, I didn't pick her. Like she just was here. <laughs> she did it. And she told me it was okay. Like it was <laughs> it was this moment where I'm like, okay, so we don't get no, no, I did it. Like let me let me stand. I mean, remember all of those um the Christian family like uh things where they use the umbrella. Oh and yeah. They say, like God yeah. is and then yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then the husband and then the wife, like he didn't even, he wasn't an umbrella. Like, he literally was like... I'm making that a shirt. Be an umbrella. Be an umbrella. Like, he literally was like, she did it. I don't have nothing to do with this. This isn't my fault. And so, like, what's funny to me is, and I think this is probably, you know, if my mother was here, and if we have my grandmother on this line, this is probably why I always got in trouble. Because to me, the whole situation is a setup. Like, why would you put something? I'll never forget, case in point, my mama bought some chocolate, I will, I will never forget, they were some like death by chocolate cookies. <laughs> and she put them on the table and she was like, you can't have any. Okay, (laughs) like like you put them on the table and then you tell me I can't have any. So then she left. I ate a cookie and then I went to brush my teeth because I didn't want her to know that eating a cookie. And she came and like bust in the house because something told her that I had eaten a cookie. So when I got in trouble, I was like, well, why did you leave them on the table? You knew I was gonna eat the cookie. So for me, when it when I look at at it, the story of the garden, there are so many conversations that people have about about the garden. Um, and I wanted to problematize it a bit and say, because we have agency and because we have free will, what if we have completely misread Eve? What if we get to glory and Eve was like, no, like I, like I did it. And it was the best thing that I ever did. Not because the outcome was what she wanted, but because of the ways that 
the implication of that decision or the consequence of that decision opened her up to parts of herself that she didn't know, um, ways that she had to grow in, in ways that she didn't know, right? And so mm-hmm. I think about that often, which is why I don't, I try not to use the language of consequences. Mm-hmm. I think that each choice has an implication. Like there are some, there's some times that I was, I did some foolishness and I paid dearly for it. There were some times that I did what people expected me to do. And I, once I finished it and it was the quote unquote right decision, it didn't sit well with me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think that if, if there's a way for us to particularly because so often we read Adam and Eve with such this vitriol of the entrance of sin, right? This is when the world has fallen. Um, but how how can we reclaim it in a way that we give we extend them grace so that we give it back to ourselves? Like I don't want to always see myself. I don't want to always see people as the worst thing they've ever done. Mm. I don't, right? Mm. Like, mm. like I, there's so much more to me, but, and there's so much more to add. There was so much more to Adam and Eve than the two of them eating. And I hope it was good. Like I, I, I used to say when I, for that limited time that I taught Bible study before my pastor caught me in the office and was like, so this isn't going to work. Um, <laughs> but like, I used to say like, I hope when we get there, they are like, that fruit was good. Because I told them, <laughs> I was it. like, there's nothing worse than biting into a nasty orange mm. or <laughs> like, like there's nothing worse than dis- the fruit that just disappoints you. Mm. So I said, I hope that they're happy. But but I do think that that the space that I try to try to situate that conversation in and other conversations around this notion of sin moves us out of these kind of social mores that that people tell us are sinful but invite us to really think critically about our relationship with God, what we've called, what we have been called to be in the world, who we're called to be in the world and the decisions that we make that are either in service of that or not in service of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So like we know that, it is not it is not a sin. I mean, that it is like I'm not supposed to go out here and just shoot somebody, right? Like that it is, it is, that is wrong. Frowned upon. Right. What do we do? <laughs> like literally, because because <laughs> it can some places, right? Um, <laughs> but then what do we do when I may have to take a life to save mine mm. or to save someone else's? Right. Like, do we justify that? Do we, you know, like the ways that we, the ways that we find mitigating factors Mm. in spaces. And I'm, and I'm somebody who I, I don't believe in violence in any form. 
But I do know that there are times in which you have to protect yourself and those that you love. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, do I think that when you engage in violence in that way, it grieves God's heart? Absolutely. Do I think that God sees you solely in that space? No, I don't. Mm. Right. Yeah. Um, my my parents were not married. Um, there were people who maligned my mother, did not malign my father. Um, but my mama refused to see that act as simple because she did not want to raise me in a context that said I was any less loved and beloved of God because, because I, because I did not have two married parents. Right. So like that was the, that was really my first space of interrogating what it means, what sin actually means. Like my mom was like, I'm not, no, like absolutely not. Like God had to get you here Mm. because there's something that you are going to have to do at a certain time. And God is not bound by, she said, God is not bound by what we think has to happen in order for something to take place. And so when we think about that, We've got to move out of a space of sin being this very rigid thing, but really looking at it as like, what actions am I doing that's diminishing my flourishing? Hmm. What actions am I doing that are, are working to complicate a fruitful relationship between me and God? Those will differ. There will be some universalities. Yeah. But there will also be some some different decisions and different responses based on who you are and your relationship with God. And we've got to create room for that. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've said this before, and I don't know if I've ever said it the same way twice, but it's the same general vague thing. So what I heretically probably think sin is, and I don't care about heresy anymore, because who cares? Um I think that Literally. sin is like when I, in community with you, so you're in it, I think you're in Atlanta, right? Isn't that right? Or mm-hmm. somewhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I ride down there and I intentionally do something on purpose that breaks shalom. Mm-hmm. And that is mm-hmm. sin. Like I mm-hmm. did it on purpose and it mm-hmm. something died. What I tell my kids all the time is when you make these decisions, intentionally or unintentionally, but specifically intentionally, Things break and things die because that's the wage of sin. Like, so your friendships die, your trust that mom and dad had in you die, your whatever the thing is, something dies. And when you do the opposite of that, when you hit the mark, um, you 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 make life because we bear the image of a God that creates I life. Like so that. you choose. You you know you, that's that's you can't preach that in a Baptist church, but that's, that's what I think. Um, That's what it is. I love that. Anything that breaks shalom, anything that, anything that does not produce life, like in all of its forms, Mm. like that is, that is sin and the grace for us, should we take it is that we're given opportunities to do better. We're given opportunities to learn and to hold ourselves accountable and move differently um, that allow us to, 
to shift who we are and what we think, right? That like that that there's space for us to be different and to be better. Like we have that capacity. Um, and yeah, I think that that's for me. Really, when I wrote this book, it was about that capacity. Like how like I stood at. I tell people like the walking through the valley of the shadow of death is never fun. <laughs> like living, living life in the shadow of your worst nightmare. Um, and then having all of these other things happen that you are now trying to make sense of is never fun and it's never good. And yet there is this ability to rise above it, there is this ability to move beyond it and not in a way that negates all that has happened to you, but in a way that uh, that says that these things opened me up to the possibility and the capacity to be different. And that is a sacred bond and a sacred trust. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I hope, I hope, I hope that as people read it, that's what they walk away with. Do you remember like last year I had all those weird ad breaks? Like it would just randomly be something. We're not doing that. Instead, I thought I'd do this. I need your help if you're able to. Head on over to the website for the show. There are two things that you can do. One is you head over to the website, you click the Patreon button or support button, I forget what I call it, and you jump in there. Those people help make the show a thing so that you can listen to it right now. Two, the easier one, you could just leave a rating and a review on the podcast app of choice that you currently use. Either one of those is fine but I would love it if you would do either one, specifically the rating and reviewing. It's an exponential thing that the algorithms pick it up, and that's just math. It's just compounding on top of itself. Anyway, all that to say, that was it. That was the ad break, and now we're going to get back into it. Before I move on, you talk about violence against somebody that was messing with you, your family or something mm -hmm, like that. Mm -hmm. The only thing I could think of for some reason in the back of my head when you were talking um, is that Try Jesus song. Do you know this song? It's, Try Jesus, not me. I throw hands. Yeah, if, uh -huh. I, if cognitive bias was ever a song, mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. it. I will listen to it with okay. my kids. They like it. I like it. it just We like uh -huh. it. Anyway, but yeah, yeah. It's, it's that's my... That's my, anyway, that's my jam. I love that song. Yeah, I will you touch me in mine. We're we going to have scrap. Um, yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, no, you got some painful chapters in here um, that were hard to read. Like, you got a chapter, we're talking mm -hmm. about, um, you know, an affair that you were involved in, um, which, to be honest, Candace, I don't think I could write that in a book and be like, it's fine, put it in print, put it out there. Um, like, and then there's a chapter on some movement in your views on LGBTQ issues. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's that chapter I want to ask a question about. So there's, and I can't remember in this book, I think the names have been changed to protect the innocent, but maybe they weren't. It doesn't matter. So there's a part in here where a friend of yours named Daryl is calling you out. 
Uh-huh. And he's saying, you know, you got time for this dude, you got time for that dude, and that dude was the one, and now this dude's the one. But did you see? I mean, that dude right there. Right. We're riding or dying. I brought my honey crisp apples. Like we're doing this. I brought them. You know. Um. But he asked you, how much time do I get as your friend? Which was a really mm-hmm. powerful question for me. Mm-hmm. For those that haven't read that chapter, what does yeah. that question kind of all entail? And then what are some of the implications of the answer to it? Ooh. Um, I'm remembering that moment. So, um, and, and what's funny is I didn't, I didn't tell him until, uh, until he read it Mm. and he called me crying, um, because he was just like, I had absolutely no idea that that moment was so pivotal for you. Um, going back to friendship, right. That we started this conversation with that they are to be the mirrors for us. The truth was, was that in that moment, because of my skewed ability um, to see beyond what I had been taught, I was not a good friend to him. Um, And this is somebody who had prayed for me, Mm -hmm. who I knew, knew, who I know knows Jesus. Um, and this is somebody who had lifted me and continued to lift me every time one of those dudes, you know, made clear that they were not the one. <laughs> um, and, and I, and I grieved the fact that I allowed religion to hold me. I hear it. <laughs> I grieved the fact that I allowed religion to keep me from being a good friend. And so I had to really, I had to literally sit back and say, if scripture says, try the spirit by the spirit to see if it be of God. And I know that, I know that Darrell walks with God and I know that God talks to Darrell and and Darrell talks back to God. What, what do I lose by honoring that his, who he loves has absolutely nothing to do, um, one, with me, (laughs) and two, with his ability to be a good fundamental person who grounds his life in in the wisdom and the teachings of Jesus, right? Um, And that, like, we are, and to be very honest about the fact that we had been using and have been using doctrine and conversations from centuries ago <laughs> to have conversations about sex and sexuality that continues to be to evolve, right? Like, like these are conversations that continue to evolve. There is scholarship, um, biblical scholarship, that says and suggests that sex is not as black and white in scripture as we made it. That sexuality may not be as black and white in scripture as we made it, right? And so how do I take all of that and honor that my friends love looks different who my friend loves it looks different than me and who I love but fundamentally like he 
he is a good person Mm. and that God created us all with intentionality Um, and our differences and our diversities matter to God and they matter to the world that God intended to create. Um, And so it's sacred, right? Like I'll never forget hearing Bishop Yvette Flunder say, and it just, it just blew me away. She said, I am a same gender loving woman because it is the will of God for my life. And when she said that, I was like, whoa, like I never saw that even of just how, how all of us come, every part of us is a part of who God created us to be to fulfill our purpose in the earth. Mm. Um, And, you know, lastly, I will say that this world is so full of pain and heartache and loss and grief and hatred. How dare we, really, how dare we say that people cannot have and find love because it looks different? Mm -hmm. Like, to find love in this world is God to me, right? Mm. Like mm. to to find somebody that you want to walk through this world with, whether whether for a season or for a lifetime, that's holy. Yeah. And I I just refuse to 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 I refuse to to deny that holiness because I don't want to think differently. Yeah. Yeah. So, quick question. Um, because mm-hmm. it's not what your book is about, although I have a few mm-hmm. books on it. Um, one of them is from, um, it's called uh, Rethinking Incarceration from Dominique. Um, I don't know if you know, I can't think of his name right now. Dominique Dubois Gilliard, I think. Anyway, so mm-hmm. your doctoral mm-hmm. work or your graduate work was going to be on like the theology and the intersection of mass incarceration. Mm-hmm. Like, that can't be something that you're just like, just kidding. I'm not doing that anymore. Like when are you finishing this work PhD or not? Um, because that's a whole yeah. different topic. That's a whole nother hour. Um, but yeah, but can you speak a bit to that as long as you want to? Cause that's not really what the book is about. Like it's. No, it's so funny. It's so funny that you said that because somebody inboxed me the other day. and was like, so like, are you going to, yeah. you go said a paragraph. Are you going to do anything with this? <laughs> And I was like, oh, but what's funny is that I've thought about it for a while. Um, one, I'm thinking through um, an entire project on sin, like taking taking sin and um, and really sitting with it and like what it means to to have to reimagine how we talk about it. Mm. But um but out of that really comes how we recognize what we characterize as what it means to be safe in, in this country, right? That there have to be people who are sinners mm. and who are bad and they need to be put away from us, right? And then there has to be those of us who do not engage in, um, in the work of, of iniquity and crime. And we get to we get to flourish and thrive out here in the world. Um, what does that mean for for how we see 
who is blessed, who is favored, who is not, right? Um, and then how do we use that to justify what is often the inhumane treatment of those who are incarcerated? Mm. Um, mm. And it is beyond the it's beyond the ways that that they strike when the food and the plumbing and the living conditions are are so poor, right? Yeah, yeah or the vaccination the, or mass or conditions vaccine, or anything. Right. Yeah, yeah, like, all that. It is it's it's beyond that. It's the way that we have decided that they don't even deserve to be touched. Yeah. Right? It's the way that we decided that they don't deserve hugs. Um that it you know like I have a cousin who is currently incarcerated the way the hoops that I'm having to go through just to send him a book, my book, because I want him to have it, um, is crazy to me, right? That mm. like that that there are ways um for women who are incarcerated who are not even guaranteed feminine hygiene products. Yeah. Like you gotta buy those and if you don't have them in commissary if you don't have money or commissary, like, Sorry. you know, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it. how have we decided that that's okay? Because they, they may or may not have done, made a mistake or done something that we deem, you know, um, deserving of that kind of treatment, you know, um, that work for me was, was important. Um, because for my the work I was doing in seminary, we have to have a, a field education experience. And I got placed at the um, youth detention center. And I was like, okay, like this is I I don't I don't want to be here. This is not the work that I'm doing. Um I was there, I was only supposed to have we were having two field placements. I took that one and I did not leave. Mm. Like I, I went back to the field education director and was like, please keep me here. Like I stayed. And when I graduated from Duke, I cried cause I didn't want to leave them. And I've kept in touch with, with many of them who have gotten out and gone on to do, to do well. Some of them, you know, were, were reincarcerated. Um, Two of them were killed and I had to, and that was hard. Um, but that experience fundamentally changed my life. Yeah. And I, I wanted us to really sit with, especially because I was in this, I was in this, this youth prison context. Um, there was a 10 year old at the time who had committed murder um, who would be in there until they turn 18. And the likelihood was that they would go from there to the state facility. Mm. And when we talked to him, he was like, yeah, I did a bad thing. When can I go home? Like there was no, yeah. no comprehension of the fact that like a life was gone, but I was in there and it was majority black and brown boys and the people that were coming to preach and teach to them about Jesus were white. 
And I was like, even that was something that I was like, we actually need to interrogate this too, right? Um, and so, yeah, uh, I I think I think even as as I have moved away from that work, I haven't. <laughs> Because I still do work with um, with uh, corrections, um, I'm a I um, am still very much a part of organizations that are working to uh, to think through these things theologically. Um, I have broached the book um, a book topic project with my editor. Do it. Um, yeah, like I, I and I, I do like I, I and I mean larger for me is that I really want to have a conversation about sin. Like I, I just like I really just want to write a book called Sin <laughs> and just really sit with like how have we framed it? What is it really? Um, and because and I'm gonna be quiet because I know we got other stuff to talk about. Um, when you read, I think I think that's the other part for 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 people um when you read other theological works you get so many different constructions of what sin is right and like there's this i I was i thought i had it i'm gonna have to give you the name of it but um he's a japanese theologian and um, his construction of sin around is, is basically that sin is whatever we do that evokes shame. So whether it is shame in us or whether we have done something that creates shame in someone else, mm. that is sin. And I remember having a conversation with my homegirl because I literally... I'm one of those that like writes in my book and like highlights in my, like, and, it, and I just, I just had to screenshot her pages. And I said, this is how we, so many people have communal understandings of what sin is like that. It moves us out of this kind of like individualistic. Oh, if you have sex before marriage, you know, you're sinful but it moves us out of that kind of like individual individualistic conversation to what are my actions communally mm. and how are they how are they working to lead people to more life yeah or how are they working to break shalom right like how what am i doing and and for me i think that's what grieves god's heart Right. That when when we do things that diminish people's hope. Right. That like I can I can go into prayer. I can have my conversation with God and God can tell me like, okay, like so you were on 10 today. Like maybe tomorrow let's try to stay at a four or five because you did a lot like (laughs) you ain't like I like it's so funny because. I I told I told my I told my friend I said one day I'm write a piece about living with anxiety and how I know that God some days is like you took me through so I know that the people <laughs> that you are doing life with are exhausted. Yeah, you know that eclipse <laughs> that was a timeout for me. I, I had I'd had enough. I had to do a whole eclipse like, just for listen, a minute. <laughs> you know when people say that scripture that says that God neither slumbers nor sleeps. 
I know that there are times that God has been like, I gotta take a nap because she's done a lot and I need a moment, right? <laughs> and I and I and I told her, I said, I can't be in my space and in my in my work with God, and God can show me because of the the relationship that we have, the growing edges that I need to work on. I think where God gets grieved and most disappointed is when I do something that has hurt somebody else, right? That like, I done moved on from it, said what I had to say, gone about my business, and it sparked shame. It sparked guilt. It rubbed the, 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 the skin off of an insecurity of an old wound. And now they're having to live with resurfaced emotions and feelings that they would not have had to had I not done that. Yeah. That's when I know God is looking at me like you, which, what you out here doing? Yeah. And so I, I, I said all that to say that I do think for me having much more conversations about sin and accountability do encompass the work that we got to do to think about, um, to think about mass incarceration, to think about policing differently, mm-hmm. um, uh, and to think about who gets who gets the power to be the ones who are doing the surveillance, and who 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 is theologically positioned to be the surveilled. And I think that that as as we move into what I think will, we will, I don't think that we will, we will be without a generation. Uh, I don't think ever again, we will be without a generation that does not consistently call policing to task. Mm. um, That does not consistently call correction systems and criminal justice systems to task. And I think that it, it is incumbent upon us to really think through what that looks like. Um, particularly from Christian standpoints. And, and so those are conversations that I'm definitely um, invested in having. Yeah. So let me circle that back up to the beginning. Just, just write the book. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cause you can see the passion there. Um, and I, I agree with that. Like, like I, I agree with a lot, if not all of that, a lot of that. So I want to two or three questions and then give you back to your puppy. Sure. Um, so who is snoring oh. and I cannot believe that you cannot hear him because I am over here like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> I don't hear it. Oh my gosh. He sounds like a grown man. Like, <laughs> <it's that bad. laughs> so you say uh, somewhere towards the, the last third that there are like eight cornerstones or truths for red lip theology. And so I want to read these to you, and I want to ask you which one is the one, um, and and I want to frame this question a little bit differently. So one of the questions that I ask everyone, Candice, is what are the things that we should be intentionally talking about in our church bodies, and that if we intentionally avoid them are literally like, just, we're going to just explode churches. Like, that's a grenade. Everybody sees it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody's going to call this out over here. So which one of these eight things do you think is that? And then kind of how do we move forward in talking about it? So with those being that one, intimacy is holy. holy. Mm -hmm. Um, Two, God created us for interdependence and connection. When we honor that, we thrive. Three, intimacy is necessary. Four, touch is vital, which honestly, that makes no sense to me, but that doesn't have to be your answer. 
Five, sex is healthy, necessary, and productive for reasons beyond reproduction. Six, God respects our agency. Seven, those of us who have the privilege of experiencing physical intimacy should do so as often as we deem necessary for our health, wellness, and desires. And eight, people who identify as asexual and those for whom intimacy can be difficult because of physical, um, because of physical and emotional limitations are no less valuable or important than those who are experiencing intimacy privilege. So of those eight things, what's the one that you're like, yeah, we're not going to talk about that in church, but we should, and here's why. Oh, that um, that we should, regardless of, of, of marital status, engage in... Um, um, intimacy and and physical connection, um, mm. however we deem, whenever we deem necessary, mm. and we need to talk about that for all of the other reasons. Um, but we, but again, the ways that we are um, conditioned to believe that uh, sex outside of marriage or outside of these co- legal covenants is sinful. Um, does not really get us to a place of what it actually means to to live and come alive, right? So, like there were there were studies that basically um, talked about the lack of touch and what the lack of touch and physical intimacy do to you, and um, they first started, and I can't remember the country. Um, and I hated that they did it uh, because they started with babies, and um, let's say Germany. And then they, Why not? Yeah, it was it was one of them. One <laughs> of them that you, when you read the stuff, you were like, it makes sense they would do stuff like that. North right? Korea, um, <laughs> right? Literally, <laughs> um, they had at at various gener at various generations, they withheld touch from whether it was a baby, whether it was a child, whether it was a teen, whether it was a young adult, whether it was an adult, whether it was um, an, an, elder, an elderly person, they would held touch and mm. physical connection. And the ways that their body, the ways that their organs and their systems began to negatively respond to the lack of touch and physical intimacy, like that, those are conversations that we actually need to be having, right? Um, case in point, what does it also mean for us to be in a moment still where touch is dangerous, mm. right? You know, like who in the who who in the world thought that we would get to a point where we would be afraid to hug our parents and our grandparents, right? Like, I I remember breaking down and crying Christmas of 2020. One, because I was still living in, for the most part of the pandemic, I was living in um, New Jersey alone. And I had a terrible bout with COVID in 2020, and I thought I was going to die. Mm. And I could, I have never, I have never been without my family for Christmas and Christmas is already a hard time because my mother's gone. And so I try to make sure that I'm around my grandmother. And so I went home for Christmas. I remembered for the two to three weeks after Christmas, holding my breath 
every time I talked to my grandmother because I was listening for if there was something wrong, different in her voice. Or like, did you every get her sick, you mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Every time she said she was tired, I was like, is she tired because she was up playing solitaire all night? Or is she tired because she may have cope? You know, like, mm. and I cried because I said nobody should ever feel like that. Nobody should ever feel like that. And I don't even think that we have fully, it will be decades before we are able to really count up the totalizing cost of what it means, has meant for us to live in this pandemic the ways that we did. So how do we bring those conversations as well as intimacy conversations into a space, marry that with biblical scholarship that may challenge how we look at some passages, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Combine that with broader conversations about sin and flourishing that give people room to make decisions that they deem best suitable for their life without the attached shame, judgment, and finger wagging. Mm. Like, I think that that's where we've got to get to. Um, Those are the conversations that make me excited. Um, But I think that they're so ripe and rich with the truth of what it looks like to be people who, um, who care for each other and who recognize that life and the conditions of life look different for look different from people than they may look like for you. Yeah. 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 Can I say that conversation about like sex really terrifies me just because of my kids? Mm-hmm. Like theologically, yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, as yeah. an adult, I'm right there with you. But to be clear, I'm happily married. So like I, I ain't got an right. issue here. Yay. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how to have that conversation with my kids. Um, if I was, a, I mean, and I teach Sunday is, school too, to like third graders. Right. So like, it's hard to. And I think that's not the conversation that we have with, so with kids. So like the conversation. Yeah. But um, if we're doing the conversation, right. The kids will see it modeled in the adults in the church. Like they would like so, in community. So I think, but I, yeah, but I think that part of that are the healthy conversations, right? So, so the conversations that I had with my cousin that I have always had with my cousin who is about to graduate high school this year is that this is a really beautiful thing that I really want you to do with when you are, when you are old enough to really deal with the the weight and that of its beauty mm. um and i told her and i said and most people you know they do wait until they're married um to because it's most beautiful and sacred to them in that context and then we had the conversation and i said i didn't wait you know um but i have friends who did mm-hmm. and i want for you because there's so much that comes along with this and I told her, I was like, I was, I was, I was out of high school. I was in college. Like I, I had so many other things on my mind. And I told her, I was like, there's so much other stuff I want you to do and focus on that does not include this. Yeah. 
And then we had the conversation that I want you to promise me that before you do anything, we'll have that conversation. And as her cousin, you know, and I told her, I told her uncle, I told my uncle who's her father and my aunt who's her mom, you know, um, I will not, I will hold confidence as long as she's not in danger. Yeah. Um, and I told that to her too. You tell me something, you know, and you're in danger. We're going to have to have a conversation. We all going to have to have a conversation. But my, the way that I talked to her about intimacy and sex and have always talked to her is much different than the conversation that I have with my homegirl who's 36, who's still a virgin and who wants to be married and is afraid that she's running out of time to be a mom. Mm. Um, that's a very different conversation. Um, and I think what has to happen when we talk about the children and what we model is what we've unfortunately done in church is we've had a one size fits all conversation about sex and sexuality. So what works for the four year old is supposed to work for the 14, the 24, the 34 and the 44 year old. And that's just not the case. Mm. Right. Like, and there are ways that we can have healthy, honest conversations with young people that prioritize waiting, right? That like, that say, I want you to, like, I, I want you to, to not feel, especially, especially in the, in a world where they get bombarded with sex, Mm. you know? Um, And like, you can't, my, one of my friends was telling me that they found ways people have found ways to use the algorithms on YouTube kids to put sex conversations on YouTube kids in, in cartoons. Mm. And like, and so it can't be a situation where you're just letting them watch YouTube. Now you got to watch and see what's going on. And so I think that there are ways that we can have healthy conversations with kids that prioritize waiting that that emphasize one the beauty and the safety mm. <laughs> of waiting um to 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 partner in that way and marriage or or just waiting period and then i think there's room for us to really have a shift in our conversations when we're dealing with adults um that does not make them, that doesn't infantilize them, but also is very respectful of their agency and, and the world that we live in. Yeah. 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 It's a rough, it's a hard thing. Either way, it's a yeah, hard it thing. Is. Um, so at the very, very beginning, you had talked about um, part of what is you is, you know, the power that words have and, the, you know, that that's, that's a big part of your life is writing, uh, words, et cetera. So for you, Candace, when you try to put words to whatever the heck God is, what is that for you? Um, I first honored that and named that words are going to be insufficient. Um, God is the most consistent, the most empathetic, 
the most compassionate, the most accountable, the most gracious, the most kind force in my life. Um, God is the most consistent, that, that, that force I believe in the world. Um, and it, and God is, if I was to, if I was to describe God, um, and I talk about that in the book too, about like, I think that if we were just to describe God, um, we would, and we had to put God in human form, um, it would be a person who has, who has loved and cared for us. Um, if I had to describe God in words, I think they would always be the most lush, like decadent words. Mm. Like, um, and and then they would also be the most the most decadent and simplistic words that, that encompass just sheer being and existence um and then I would still fail because there hasn't been a word or anything to just to capture what and who God is to me like when you ask me that question to be honest I think it is fully in the like that that feeling that you get right before you're about to describe like it's almost like when you're at church and you're about or or talking to someone and you are about to talk about just how good God is and how good God has been and like this joy that you have and you take that deep breath like right before like that little breath right before you're about to talk. To me, it's in that breath because you're because you are acknowledging. All right, I'm about to put this in words. But I really don't have no words for just <laughs> just what this makes me feel like. So that's all I got. Like that's that's what that is for me. Mm. That's what that is for me. Mm. I like that. I like that. And that word lush for some reason feels good. That's a that's a it does. That's a deep word, lush. That's not a word that people use. I don't I don't use that word <laughs> ever. Um that, that, those two times right there. The entire that's the entire year. Of, of usage. So, um, I did warn you existential at the no, end. No, no, no. Uh-uh. So I have a, I have a, so now that you told me that you're going to have to use lush at least once a month, <laughs> once a month for the rest of the year, I'll check in with you. I'll let you, you know, use- I'm a man okay, of my word. I make, know. I make very few promises and I will, I will do that. Okay. Um, it's easy to keep them <laughs> when you don't make a lot. <laughs> um, right? so I, I can do that. Yeah. So where should people do the things that are related to you on the, where, where Okay. You know, yeah. the, the things, the, the weird the things, part of every right. podcast episode, that thing. Right. Yeah. The things. Mm-hmm. So one, um, go by Rail of Theology, wherever you um, you get your books. Um, my dog, Charlie, will thank you because um, that's how he eats. <laughs> so um, definitely go get his books. Go get the book. Uh, it's wherever you get your books. Um, you can follow me at Candice Benbo, C-A-N-D-I-C-E. B-E-N-B-O-W um, at Twitter and off on Instagram. And my website is CandiceBenbo.com. I don't, I, I have a Facebook. I, I don't know how to 
you can probably find me on there. Um, but I'm mostly on Instagram and uh, Twitter. And when I'm not on those, I am on Pinterest pending some, some recipes I'm probably never going to try. So. <laughs> <laughs> that looks good. I'm going to make that. I'm never going to make that. I'm never, like, so what's so funny is at my, at the grill, I'm about to start Friday recipes simply because I looked at my Pinterest board and I have 60, like I have <laughs> a, one, I have them all broken down by, by food, vegetables, meats, proteins, drinks, sweets. And I went through that and I was like, how many of these have you actually made? Like the, the boards, they have dope names and titles. They're very color coded and beautiful. And I probably have made two things. So now I'm going to, this will be the year that I actually do the things that are on my Pinterest board. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Candice, I have enjoyed chatting with you quite a bit. It's been, it's been a joy. So I have to. Now I haven't added it up, but there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of podcasts on the internet And I am humbled that you continue to download this one. If this is your first time here, please know that there are transcripts of these shows. Not always in real time, but I do my best. And if you go back in the logs, you can find transcripts for pretty much any episode that you'd like. The show is recorded and edited by me, but it is produced by the patron supporters of the show. That is one of the best, if not the best way that you can support the show. If you get anything at all out of these episodes... If you think on them or if you, you know, you're out and about and you tell your friends about it or, hey, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, pastor, here's what I heard. What are your thoughts on that? If this is helping you in any way, and it is helping me, consider supporting the show in that manner. It is extremely inexpensive, but collectively, it is so very much helpful. Now for you, I pray that you are blessed and you know that you're cherished and beloved. We'll talk soon.